I'm reading uh, select passages from the book of Genesis. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is the word of God for the people of God. John, thank you so much. Uh, we are continuing on our ser- in, in our series on work, so I'm really, really excited about this. And let me tell you why it's important for the church of God to think about vocation. Number one, everybody in here is in some form of work. If you go to school, you're at work. I'm sure your parents have told you that that is your job, and you better pass or you'll be out of the house. And the rest of us are going to work paying taxes and, 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 and um, you know, doing various jobs. I'm working right now. Did you know you people are work? You think this is a blessing for me. I'm just kidding. I absolutely love my work. Very thankful to be here. But to think about work, it's such a privilege to be able to go to work. And the Lord, as his people doesn't want us to disengage or retreat from the culture, but to engage and actually to press into the culture. Hang on, you guys. I'm on a clock. I need to reset this. Go. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, I've been put on a leash as much for your good as anybody's. So anyway, we're called to not to disengage from the culture, but to, uh, to uh, engage the culture, to press into the culture. And that's because as the people of God... You guys, we're meant to be a foretaste of the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. We're meant to be a taste of what it's going to be like when God's rule is revealed over all creation. In other words, for people who are not a part of the people of God, we are called to be a taste of heaven. Not perfectly, but a good taste of heaven. And so much of how we can engage the culture is in our work. Because it's a large part of the mission that God has given us. We're called to be stewards of the creation, bringing order from chaos, building culture, creating beauty out of raw materials. Let me give you all an example. I'm not a shoe man. My wife told me she wanted to buy me some shoes. And she bought me some shoes. I'm not going to be able to get uh, these back on, so I'm going to have to stay shoeless uh, actually, I'm going to take them both off because I'll be uh, one leg shorter than the other. Y'all, I've gotten more compliments about these shoes. They, what is it about them? Is it the bottom? Is, is that what's cool? I am the definition of uncool. But I got to looking at them. Somebody made these. And apparently, to at least three people at first service, 
they are really great looking shoes. To me, they're expensive. <laughs> and I'm going to take good care of them. But to somebody, they're beautiful and expensive. <laughs> but do you know you can make shoes to the glory of God? Did you know you can do that? That's the beauty of work. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So we're going to jump in, and let's talk about the dignity of work uh, first. I want to d dig into it a lot uh, more deeply than we did last week. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So essentially in our work, we stand in for God. He tells us to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth and subdue it. And so he blesses us with work. He calls us to rule over the creatures and the birds and everything that moves along the ground. And the reason God gives us work is because he worked. And he delighted. He worked for six days and then he rested. And he delighted in his work. He said, it is good. And he kept working, creating. And so he's blessed us to work. And part of the dignity of work is the fact that he's worked and he's made work such a great blessing for us because it's a way we express our humanity when we find great delight in labor. So when you think about this, let me give you an example. If you're a job creator in the room, don't create jobs that don't bring out the best in the people you put in that job. Don't do that. Don't create a job that's just a cog in a wheel to accomplish a greater purpose. Create a job that's a job with dignity that somebody can do to the glory of God, aligned with their passions. Don't hire them to use them. Hire them to bring the best out in them. It's your privilege to be an employer. It's your blessing to have people work for you. Just as much as it's a blessing for you to work for people. Because work is meant to give us dignity. We're image bearers of the living God. And because he worked, he's blessed us to work. Look at how he puts it. The Lord God put the man and the woman in the, gar man in the garden, put him to work it, to take care of it. You see here, we have an office to work in the garden. We have a job description. Ann Rand, who was a writer in the 20th century of Atlas Shrugged, said this about work. Whether it's a symphony or a coal mine, all work is an act of creating and comes from the same source. The capacity works the capacity to see, to connect, and to make what is not seen, connected, and made to work is the capacity to see, to connect, and to make what has not been seen, connected, or made before. Work is so creative. Dorothy Sayer said it so well in her her essay, Why Not Work? I said this last week. Man, made in the image of God, should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well a thing that is well worth doing. Doing well a thing that is well worth doing. Yesterday, my wife asked me to hang a light fixture in our bathroom. And the background of the story is the light fixture I was replacing was perfectly adequate for what we needed. Now, I told this story first service, but she was here in the first service, so I didn't tell the whole story, so I'm going to really get it out on you, okay? 
So let me get it out on you because she doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> she won't listen to the podcast. And don't you tell her to. Shame on you. So anyway, so I'm replacing a perfectly good light fixture so you know immediately I have a stellar attitude about this. And I'm, you know, we, we you know, I, I've got to do electrical, you know, and I can do a little bit of electrical. I have to turn the power off in the neighborhood to make sure that I do not get shocked. So I go and pull the plug at the, at the line, and I'm fooling, fooling, fooling around with this, and, and it's maddening. And that's to say the least. And we finally get it up, and I had to have her help me. And when I move the ladder, hear it clearly, she was right. It was beautiful. You know where the old light fixture belonged? In the recycling bin. See, that's why I got married. I would never in the world buy this. Ever. Ever. But it shows up. And a few of you guys said they'd look pretty sharp. I still don't see what you're seeing in it. But apparently I'm blind. But she knows beauty. And work can bring beauty. And see, you can, you can work to, to make things beautiful. And that's the dignity of work. And it's well worth doing. So here's what I want to challenge you to ask as you think about your vocation. What am I making, producing, creating? Does it actually, does it actually help people thrive and flourish? That's so important to ask yourself that about your work. Because in the end, work is to bring beauty, to order uh, to bring order uh, to, from chaos, and it's also to make people around you thrive and flourish. In other words, your work is to be a blessing to people around you. Here's some other implications about the dignity of work. When you recognize the inherent dignity of work, you can pursue excellence whatever your work is, simply for the sake of the work itself and not necessarily what it'll bring you. Now, listen, I'm all for paying people well for work, but men and women, you'll never find satisfaction in your work if all you're working for is a paycheck. You'll never find the satisfaction that the Lord would ultimately have you to find in your work, a delight in your work, not idolatrously, but in blessing. If all it is is a paycheck and you're, and you're collecting for retirement, you're not. And that's not the way God intended it. Another implication of understanding the dignity of work is this. We can no longer stigmatize certain kinds of work or demean people in particular for the jobs they do. Think about the people who sell the contributor on the side of the road. Do you know that's an organization that puts people to work? And yet, do I demean them or have I thought bad thoughts about them? Do you know they're there and have to go through a process and the organization wants them to work to experience the dignity of work and not get a handout on the side of the road? That's not a handout on the side of the road. That's buying a product from someone who's at work. Roll down your window this week. Look them in the eye and say to them, it looks like you're doing an excellent job. Tell me about your work. 
Wouldn't that be cool? You could bestow dignity on them. You could bestow dignity, blessing on them. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. We can seek work, and we should, because work has dignity. We should seek work uh, that suits our passions and our gifts, and not simply for the salary and benefits. Okay, I want to give you a quote from a movie. Okay? See if you know what movie this is. Are you ready? It's not in your outline, so don't look. I just talked to my father. He's making me quit the play at Henley Hall. Acting's everything to me, but he, he doesn't know. But I can see his point. We're not a rich family like Charlie's, but he's planning the rest of my life for me, and he's never asked me what I want. Have you ever told your father what you just told me about your passion for acting? You ever showed him that? Dead Poets Society. Remember? He'd found his passion. And somebody squelched him. His dad, listen to me carefully. Don't go and take a job that your dad wants you to take. Take a job that your father in heaven does. No offense, dads. I want all my children gainfully employed. All I'm looking for is them to make a slight profit and not live off me. <laughs> That's a job. <laughs> Listen. You're not called to raise your children in your own image. You're called to know that they bear the image of God. And you're called to recognize their passions and their gifts and draw those passions and gifts out. God will take care of them. He will provide for them. That's key to see. I walked with a friend yesterday, and he said to me this. He said, Carter, my brother tells me I need to go into sales. I can make $4 million a year. I'm like, gosh, let's think about that tithe. I can make $4 million a year. <laughs> I can make $4 million a year if I go on the road for sales. And then he says to me, but I want to write, write music. I want to write music and write children's books. You know what? He writes great music. He writes great children's books. I don't know what's going to happen financially, but I know his father in heaven loves him and promises to take care of him. He said, should I do it? I'm like, absolutely you should do it. Listen, let me tell you something. Following your passions and how God has gifted you when you're pursuing your work is a calculated risk. It's a calculated risk. You've got a risk for gain. Now, here's a calculated risk. A calculated risk is standing on a bridge that's 40 feet high, jumping into the water. Now, you may not think that's high. That is high. That will turn your black head white. It's high, 40 feet, okay? That's a calculated risk. Irresponsibility would be jumping on the sidewalk, okay? That'd be dumb. But you take calculated risks. Some of you in here need to hear this sermon for that reason and that reason only. You take a calculated risk. It's the dignity of work. You can't control every outcome, but you know the God who can. Listen to this. Tell me who, who said this. Of course you will say that I ought to be practical and ought to try and paint the way they want me to paint. Well, I'll tell you a secret. I've tried that. 
And I've tried very hard, but I can't do it. I just can't do it. And that's why I'm just a little bit crazy. Who said it? Right, Rembrandt. You know Rembrandt. A little bit crazy. And really, really gifted. That's the reason you know him. He took a risk. That's the dignity of work. You know, you can consider all kinds of work because nothing is beneath you. You can have a serious vision for your work and, to, and make a distinct contribution with your creativity and your cultivation. I was reading a little bit about Amazon yesterday. Absolutely fascinating. Listen to what Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, said. We had three big ideas at Amazon that we stuck with for 18 years, and they're the reason we're successful. Put the customer first. Does that sound like the dignity of work? How about this one? Invent. Creativity. And the third, be patient. Character building. That's awesome. Amazon. How many of us in here have Amazon Prime? I feel like I've been set free with Amazon Prime. I didn't know it could get so good. Now, you may not like Amazon, but that's just an example. They're brilliant in the way they conduct their work. Let's think of work as cultivation. Because we talked about a little bit about that last week. So you've got work is... is Work has dignity, okay? And you guys, let me say this. This is why we as a country need to put people to work, okay? Now, I'm, I'm all for the social safety net. Don't get me wrong. But I'm really for us working together to put people to work. Because work is good for us. It's good for us. Rest is too. But work is good for us. So now let's think of work as cultivation. So when I say that, what, I really, what, what I'm talking about is simply this, is that we were put into the garden to work it and take care of it. And we were called to subdue the earth. Now all these words have uh, connotations that are very similar. So let me just say a couple of things. When you think about subduing, it means to assert my will over something. In other words, I take raw material and I make something out of it. I create something. I've worked all week on this sermon, and I've brought a lot of things together. You'll hear more in just a few minutes to hopefully make something coherent that's useful for you when you walk out of here to go to work. My work is to help you go to work in a better frame of mind with truth. That's my work. What a privilege. Do you see that? And you've got that same privilege. That's part of the blessing of work is we can cultivate to really make something. Let me give you a summary definition of work we are working with, and that is to bring out the best in whatever you have to work with or whatever you create. In other words, you may have five talents. I've got two. Somebody else has got one. But guess what? We all have the privilege of work. You can turn your five into ten. I can two, turn my two into four, and that person can turn their one into two. Guess what? That's doubling your work. That's awesome. And it's such a blessing to be productive, to cultivate like that. Notice God cultivates creation. Now, the earth was formless and void. Excuse me, formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Lord was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. So he had a formless creation. 
And then he began to create in six days. He made light. He made plants. He made animals. Ultimately, he made human beings. He took those raw materials and made something really, really incredible. He had an incredible vision for his work. One of our most visionary presidents, John F. Kennedy, said this in a speech in Ireland. You see things and you say, why? But I dream things that never were, and I say, why not? Why can't we look at our work like that? Why can't we have that sort of creativity? One of the best series of books I've ever written is precisely Lord of the Rings. How many of you read the trilogy Lord of the Rings? Gracious, this isn't going to work. <laughs> Can I just tell you something real quick? You need to read that. It's really good. And I'm sure it was required in your high school English class and you didn't read it like me. I've, uh, it's, uh, it's absolutely stunning in its breadth and its depth. Listen to something about J.R. Tolkien. While it's tempting to believe that Tolkien held the complete story of the Lord of the Rings in his mind from its inception, it's also comforting to know that one of the greatest fantasy writers of all time had to muddle about in his own creative masterpiece. Like many artists, he didn't see the job of the authors creating from scratch, but instead uncovered the story that should be told. Quote, I have long ceased to invent. I wait till I seem to know what really happened or until the story writes itself. So he ordered the story. And if you know anything about the Lord of the Rings, it's such a magnificent story because it's a story told in, in, in the framework of a much larger story that he's constantly implying. And so you get the idea that this is just a little bit of history of something absolutely amazing. And it's just such a great book. And if you've seen the, uh, if you've seen the uh, movies, you know that. Let me tell you another way, another thing that we cultivate. You know what else we cultivate? One of the, thing, one of the things you'll cultivate most, for many of you in this room, is you're going to cultivate your children. Kevin, this is for you and, and, and our, the, our other family left, but you have a little Carson to cultivate. And so we're called to start off a child in the way he should go, that even when they're old, they'll not return from it. That means you have, and parents, we have the opportunity to really shape, to cultivate, to bring out the best in our kids. And that's work. As you know, child rearing is real work. You're cultivating them. You're drawing them out. Yesterday I was um, passing... Uh, a little boy on the road on the way to my son's house and he was out in a beautiful day under a tree and he was looking at his iPhone with earplugs. One of the hardest things you're going to deal with as parents is these screens, whether it's an iPad or an iPhone or a TV. You're going to have to deal with these screens. How do we cultivate our children in an era where they are, are seduced into watching everybody else live life while not living life themselves. You know what it's going to require? Just quite frankly, listen to me, parents. It's going to require you to work. It's so easy to give them a screen and then go do what you want. But I want to tell you something. If you give them a screen to go do what you want, they're not going to do what you want later. If we let those screens raise them. Now, kids, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that your parents take away your iPhone. That's not what I'm advocating, okay? I've got one too. But we've got to think through 
as we work to raise our children what's good and what's not and what's too much and what's enough. That's why it's work to raise kids. So here's some implications when we think of work as cultivation. We're called to order the raw materials we have to work with to be more fruitful and to bring out beauty to make the best of what we have. Now there is a profound difference between cultivation and exploitation. One is fruitful, the other destroys. Remember the song? When I was a child, my family would travel down to western Kentucky where my parents were born. There's a backwards old town that's often remembered so many times that my memories are worn. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River where paradise lay. Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal train just hauled it away. Of course, John Denver sang it. John Prine, I was informed last uh, service, wrote it. It's about exploitation. Men and women, let me tell you, God doesn't set us to work to exploit things. He sets us to work to bring, bring out the best in his creation and to bring out the best in people all around us. We're called in our work to not only make the creation more fruitful, but also to make people around us thrive and flourish. That's part of our work. Those of you in the room who are educators, raise your hand if you're an educator. God bless you. Listen to me carefully, okay? God has called you to bring out the best of, in your students. You'll have some students that are geniuses. You'll have some students that struggle. You'll have some students that are in the middle of the road. But you can, by the grace of Jesus, help every student reach his or her, or her potential. And that's the dignity of your work, to bring out the best, to help people thrive and flourish. Part of my job is to, uh, as a pastor to, is to help you thrive and flourish, to help you know right from wrong, to help you understand where you can really find life. That's part of the blessing of work. Tim Keller said this, the pattern of all work is creative and assertive. It's about rearranging raw materials of God's creation in a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Christian Bernard did the first heart transplant. I think it was back in the 60s. He said, it's infinitely better to transplant a heart than to bury it to be devoured by worms. He did that almost 60 years ago so that you and I could have the heart transplant and enjoy people longer. He was serious about his work to help people thrive and flourish. So we have the great privilege of doing that. So I want to ask this question and then share one email I received last week with you and we'll stop. How does the gospel help us think about our work? How does the Lord Jesus Christ help us think about our work? Well, what I've seen generally in my own life and in many of the lives of people I work uh, with is this. Because work is so powerful and because it's so important and because there's so much potential for great good in work, the enemy attacks us in our vocations. And mainly what I see the enemy do is tempt us to elevate our work to a godlike status to find our significance and our very value. Many of you work on commission, and every month is a new month. 
There's no guarantee that you're going to get the next paycheck once you close a deal. And you've got to work hard for another deal. Perhaps you figure out your, your uh, uh, salary year in and year out. I used to work on commission. And, uh, and it can be difficult. But what I want to say, what I want to say is this. Work will never ultimately bring you the life that we can be tempted to think it will. I don't care how good you are at what you do or how much money you make at what you do or your reputation. You know, my line of work, reputation is everything. I had somebody walk up to me this past week. I was doing bench presses in the, at the Y, and he walked up to me, and he looked at me, and he said, I used to have a high opinion of you, and he walked off. And I said, well, I won't tell you what I said because there are children in the room. I actually thought it. Um, I, th- I tell you what. Later on, the Lord reminded me that Jesus said on the cross, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And, of course, I need that forgiveness, and he did too. And that's part of the privilege of my work. He needs to be loved, not mocked. Jesus can help you keep your work in perspective. And let me tell you how. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, that which was most valuable to him. He gave his son because he loves you as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. And because he gave his son, Jesus, if you trust Jesus, you become a son or a daughter. You're adopted into the family. And that's how valuable you are. You'll never find it in your own work, but you will find your value and your significance in what Jesus was willing to do for you. He loves you that much. Your value and significance is resting in Christ and Christ alone, not your work. That's what the gospel has to do with work. And oh, by the way, when you find your value and significance in Christ and Christ alone, you're set free to work and let the chips fall where they may. Let the chips fall where they may. Your very well-being, your significance, and your value will not be found in what you do in the workplace. It will be found in one who will never leave you, never forsake you. And then he will send you to work. Let's pray.